0: Learn more at marines.com. Good morning and welcome to the Pirates Podcast to be named later here on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. My name is Alex Stumpf and I've been... Cheesing, threatening that I'm going to get some really fun guests on here. I, I finally got to meet today's individual in person at the winter meetings in San Diego. And I said, hey, I, I've got an idea here. If you're on board with it, he was because I guess he hasn't listened to the podcast and doesn't know what he's getting into. But I am very appreciative of it from Foolish Baseball. It is Bailey. How are you doing,
1: sir? I'm doing very well. It was great to meet you at Winter Meetings. I got along with you and the rest of the Pirates beat. I think you're all wonderful people, but I, you know, that makes me think you're kind of luring me into the trap. And it's going to be a bunch of like gotcha type questions. You're going to do some hard-hitting journalism on me, I'm sure.
0: This is actually gotcha on the yeah.
1: Pittsburgh Sports Podcast
0: Network. No, one of the coolest moments for me at the Winter Meetings was uh, Justice De Los Santos, who covers the team for MOB.com he one of the things we you know bonded you know got to talk were your videos so whenever you come up and you're like hey you're alex right like that was my that was a rock star moment a little bit he like <laughs> Salivate is like no no i like bailey first why is this happening
1: oh man
0: but yeah that was cool um i guess just for some people who maybe aren't familiar with your work i guess uh, you make these great videos on youtube that if you're a baseball nerd i cannot recommend you know more highly they they are a lot of fun they're funny they're informative you learn something out of it i guess from you though how did you get started you know making those
1: well you know i can't remember a time in my life where i wasn't a baseball fan you know i grew up in georgia Uh, as did my parents who grew up in Atlanta. And I was born in the mid nineties in the middle of a dynasty and the Braves were on, you know, TBS every day. So I just can't remember a time where baseball fandom wasn't a huge part of my life. As far as making the videos goes, you know, I'd been, you know, editing video as a hobby since I was a teenager, but it wasn't until I actually got out of college that I started to marry those two loves. Uh, I originally started out making Tutorial videos for the video game Out of the Park Baseball, which is a GM like uh, simulator type series uh, that you can play on your computer. It's it's great. It's a lot of fun, but has kind of a steep learning curve. So I started with that, and that's how I got my initial followers. And then after a while, got tired of OTP, so I pivoted into what I do now, which is like you know about 15 minute video essay uh you know called baseball bits where the goal is to make analytics fun and accessible.
0: Yeah and I I think that's obviously um, maybe not for you, but for people who you know follow the site. I'm on the nerdier side there with the analytics here. And that's something that I personally like really gravitate towards because I've got the analytical column here and I think you do a really good job explaining what OPS plus is. What, you know, these hard stats that maybe if you don't know it, you're not going to get the video or fully appreciate it. But it just takes a little, you know detour of like fifteen seconds. you're like, okay, I've got a work grasping knowledge of this.
1: Right. And I think the video format allows for like different types of ex explanations that you know might not work as well if it's in like a blog or a podcast form or something like that so being able Mm -hmm. to like show things to people visually i think is a huge leg up in terms of explaining these concepts
0: have you experimented with like podcast or a blog in any some way
1: no i mean i so you know last couple years uh, once a year i would write like an essay for the baseball prospectus annual that was when i would uh i would say i would say i would larp as a real baseball writer, uh, once a year, um, (laughs) um, as far as podcasting goes, you know, I, on my second channel, foolish Bailey sometime, you know, this off season, I would like to do kind of like an interview series with a few people. I'm not sure if I would post that to any sort of podcast feed, but, um, I would be interested in just, you know, talking to people. Um, there's definitely people in the industry and even outside of the industry that I'd be interested in hosting and having kind of an interview type format with them.
0: Yeah. I mean, that sounds interesting. I got to watch more Foolish Bailey. I, I got to say, I, I watched the Winter Meetings one. That one was a lot of fun. And I think that was, I mean, that was your first Winter Meetings. How was it, what you thought it was because I remember whenever I did my first one, it was somehow everything I thought it was going to be and not at all what I expected.
1: Yeah. It, for the most part, it was what I thought it would be. I, I was a little bit surprised because like I got there and I knew a good amount of people, but I was surprised by the amount of people I didn't know. Like there's just the sheer amount of people in general, I think was a surprise to me. Um, but yeah, as far as just the general vibe, it, it, it met my expectations. I don't know if it's gonna be like a every year thing for me. I don't know how much like, you know, I have to gain from it content wise necessarily, mm-hmm. but uh, I really enjoyed like putting, you know, faces to names.
0: And the Rule 5 stuff I thought was pretty, that was my favorite part of that video. Go watch that one. And the the Pirates videos also that Bailey has made, like those are a good introduction here. And yeah, everyone's going to want to talk about the, the Hal Smith homer. But from someone who lived through Rod Barajas as catcher, that one, I think that was the first video viewers that I watched. And that was the one that was like, oh my God, this was, this was a trip. I can't believe I watched it all. All right, let's check the channel. What else has he got here?
1: Yeah, I th- you know I think I, I think many would consider that video to be my magnum opus, the Rod Barajas one. Truly, it's one of the most viewed videos on the channel. It deals with a very obscure player and a very obscure season on, you know, a team that wasn't particularly good. And yet it just it just kind of works. So, yeah, if you're I mean, if you're a Pirates fan watching this, especially one that lived through 2012, Rod Barajas, I would highly recommend you start with that.
0: I learned the I learned a cut stealing. Uh rule from there that, you know, Rob Brochus got credited for like two of them just through like extensive pickoff rundowns.
1: Right, it's exactly. Like
0: he, he had six on the air and two of them. He didn't touch the ball. Yeah, that it. is the most that that one was I like I said, you learn something watching his videos. I wanted to do this first segment is just an introduction to Bailey stuff. Get to know him a little bit. I really had him on here because I wanted to talk ball with Bailey. So we're going to take a quick break here whenever we come back. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And welcome back to the Pirates Podcast to be named later. Foolish Bailey is with me here. Tease Baylor with like a couple things I want to talk about, and one of them deals with the analytics side of it because we are two millennials who gravitate to the analytical side of the game, and that's something that a lot of millennials, Gen Z, who are baseball fans, they tend to go for that information. I want to ask you though, like, do you feel like there is some sort of divide, like generationally, whenever it comes to stuff like this because we really don't know uh, pre-moneyball baseball. Like this has always just been, not saying everyone had, you know, you got to go with Woba and every one of those stats is the way to evaluate, but that's always been at least in the discussion while we were fans.
1: Yeah, I, I think there's a divide to some degree, although I'm not entirely sure it's down generational lines. It may be down, you know, other lines that aren't as obvious. Um, I think as far as, you know, making analytics like understandable, you know, there, there's an element to me where it's about the understanding. It's not about how you have to love what's happening in our game necessarily, but it helps to understand why teams make certain decisions and why players are batting certain places in the lineup. And so I think, you know, they're, they're doesn't have to be this like greater public movement to accept and love analytics as much as there is to understand because you know the the battles the nerd battles the money ball battles they've already been won you know in terms of how ball clubs are run nowadays so in terms of how you approach the public with these concepts I think it should be more maybe from an education perspective because even among analytics lovers like ourselves, there's even a divide within that because I think a lot of us recognize that the most efficient way to play baseball often isn't the most entertaining and that often those forces are at odds with one another. Um, and so, you know, I think a good example of someone like that that embodies it is probably like Theo Epstein, um, who, you know use analytical concepts to build multiple championship teams. And now he works in the commissioner's office in some ways, trying to undo the havoc that he's wreaked on the game. So I, you know, it's really, uh, it's really an interesting dynamic there.
0: I that's a conversation I've had a couple of times, or not a couple of times, a lot of times where like, why is three true outcomes? Everyone's looking for pitchers who strike out and, and hitters who, you know, walk and slug. And it's like, well, There is a period where OBP was undervalued. There is a period whenever slugging percentage was undervalued. And in those times, these players grew up. They were developed with this in mind. This is the most efficient way in a lot of ways to get a run. There is no more efficient way than a home run. If you don't have to worry about getting on base and, okay, is there going to be a double play? Am I going to be picked off? Is Rob Rajas going to get a caught stealing somehow, even though he doesn't touch the ball? what right. one of those types of situations? and I, and I like what you said, though, about how you may not like it, but teams have this information. This is how it's being done, not always. I mean, part of it also is to you have to know what trend is going to be the next big trend with it. We can't base everything off of, okay, this guy has a good Exit velocity because everyone knows he has a good exit velocity at this point. You got to find a way to build on top of that.
1: Yeah, and it's I, I compare it to sort of like a video game meta in a way. If that you know if you're familiar with esports or something like that, you know the way you know the meta is always changing. So the the best strategies to win are always changing. And I, to me, that's exciting because it feels like you know baseball is progressing at such. A rapid pace, and the game changes so much year to year. And some of that is even the construction of the baseball itself. Sometimes that's certain trends. You know, we saw a lot of big time free agent spending this off season, which bucked a trend of previous seasons in terms of like paying players until they're 40 years old. And now it's probably a result of like a windfall of Disney money from the uh, from the BAM purchase. So you know, things things are always uh, changing in the landscape, and I I think that keeps it um exciting at the very least
0: do you think maybe not to harp on this generational thing but it's always part of the discussion whenever it comes to millennials and gen z that we as a whole just aren't gravitating to the game the same way that you know boomers did and different generations did do you think maybe that kind of the analytics has in a way hurt it a bit i think it, it yeah yeah, like like you said, it's maybe not the most entertaining way to watch a baseball game. And maybe even one other thing. It's like I gotta learn math, you know, to to follow sports. I'm I'm not feeling that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I, I do think I I think the product on the field has suffered to some degree. Um, you know, you mentioned the the three true outcome stuff. You know, I think you're you're seeing a, another big thing I think that is just a feature of the sport and not a bug is the amount of impact that a superstar player can have. And so when you do have guys like a, you know, a trout or an Otani who can't, you know, be in the playoffs every year, well, their equivalents, you know, if they were NBA players or they were NFL quarterbacks probably could be in the playoffs every year. You know, like if, if Patrick Mahomes, for example, we talk about the marketability of athletes, you know, Mm -hmm. Patrick Mahomes is, you know versus a backup quarterback probably gets you i don't know plus six wins in a season or plus eight wins in a season and there's no 60 or 80 war players in mlb right now so i think that's that's just an element of it like you know people are drawn to sports because they are interested in just the the greatest accomplishments of individuals but baseball you know ironically, given that it's a series of one V ones between the pitcher and hitter is the ultimate team sport in many ways, because uh, one person alone doesn't necessarily change the outlook of a team. You need a team.
0: Yeah. And I'm trying to think of like what that 60 war player would be like six Mike Trouts. Like, on the yeah. team team. like could you imagine a team if they had, you know, Mike Trout and let's say Shohei Otani, like how good that team would have to be. Right. You know, if we, there's no way they could not be this great team, and even then, like I I remember years ago there being a Reddit post of like, why is Mike Trout good? His batting average is like 280 something, and you know, and stuff like that. So I I feel like, not to say that if you follow analytics, you know the game, you know you you're the smartest guy in the room. Not to say that, but like, it it is going to come down to what do you value. I feel like a lot of this. And there could be some great players that if you like, I don't care if he walks. That's that's not fun to me. And it's as simple as that. And I also feel like I I think this is something that Brian Kenny wrote about in his book. That like for decades, like MVP and Cy Young votes usually went to like the war leader, someone who's like in the top two or three, because they just watch games. Yeah. And it's, it's as simple as that. And that's something that's just not happening as much on the whole and maybe this is just a way to substitute it and it's not going down. Well,
1: yeah. I mean, there's, you know, you make a good point there. Like there's um, you know, thousands of games played every year. You can't possibly watch all of them. So yeah, I think just looking at someone's fan graphs or baseball savant page acts as a shortcut, but it doesn't tell you everything. I think probably like the defense is where uh, you know, the defensive metrics are still in their infancy. I think mm-hmm. stat cast outs above average represents a pretty solid step forward ahead of defensive run saved and ultimate zone rating at this point, which themselves represented a step forward, you know, above like uh percentage. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh yeah, our total zone. Um, but um, you know, the the thing is I feel like if you watch a team, like, you follow a team like the Pirates and you watch 20 or 30 games, like, you're going to have a pretty good idea just on eye test, like, who's a good defender at their position and who isn't. Like, Key Brian Hayes is going to, he's going to, like, stand out to you, you know? Mm -hmm. And you don't need necessarily the metrics to tell you that. What they might help tell you is that, hey, Key Brian Hayes hits a ton of ground balls, but he hits the ball hard, so there's a lot of power potential there, even if his home run totals aren't that impressive. I almost, like, just the
0: whatever matt Vierling got traded you had a list of like six guys with i can't remember it's like average exit velocity really good and it was contact, contact right? percentage yeah. yeah yeah like two things that he does really well and like the other guys are on the list or you know all-stars and really great players right there and i feel like that's that's something i think it also could maybe backfire a little bit it's like okay so why isn't he If there are six guys on the list, why did they all have OPS pluses of 130? Why is he at 83? I mean, we can get into stuff like contact uh, point, like how deep is it? What is he doing here? The fact that he was hurt all year, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, that it's, I tend to hear more analytical arguments against that and for. I don't know if that's just, you know, covering a team that's lost 201 games the last two years and just general frustration for the decades that came before that or for whatever it is. But I, I don't know.
1: I think it, for me, in terms of like how I try to brand, like what I do on YouTube and myself, a big part of making analytics fun accessible is, is chiefly using them to build players up. Like everyone <laughs> is, you know, analytics are fun when you find out like you're, your cult favorite player when you were a kid was better than you remember, actually, you know, or something like that. They don't like the opposite, which is when you, they start tearing down your childhood heroes. So I try to stick to the positive side of things generally. And, and I find that helps, uh, you know, in terms of the response I get.
0: My guy for that was Jack Wilson.
1: Yeah. He, I, I grew
0: up in Pittsburgh, loved him, knew that, you know, this guy was a great defender. And then you check out ladies like 32 defensive runs saved. Like, right. What's- yeah. And Derek Jeter wins a gold glove in the American league the same year. Like, this, There's no justice in this. Did you have any of those guys? Like, like you said, like the, you appreciate yeah,
1: afterwards. That you appreciate afterwards. I think, um, you know, a pretty good, I mean, he's, he's more recent than Jack Wilson, but like when I was a Braves fan growing up, but I really liked uh, Martin Prado. Um and, you know, just talk about someone with that defensive versatility and who could play, you know, multiple positions solidly and was, like, a very solid hitter all around. Like, he's someone I look back at, and like, wow, he had a really impressive career if you look at his, like, you know, baseball reference page or what have you. Yeah.
0: It, it is fun to do stuff like that. Are we fair, though, no, whenever we evaluate players like that now versus back then? Like, we could look at someone, like, I'm going to say Ted Simmons here Mm because I think he's a good example of someone that a different understanding of how the game is. takes someone who was a good, great ball player. It's like, no, this guy is a hall of fame worthy ball player, you know, for that. But is, is it really fair? 100% to evaluate someone knowing what we know now compared to what we knew then?
1: No, I don't think it, it, it is. And it isn't because the, the problem is, you know, some of these players who played, you know, 50 60 years ago they might have posted like uh slash lines that were very like batting average centric that were kind of empty and because they knew if they hit 300 they were going to get paid and so mm-hmm. you know the the sport incentivizes different things i'm sure there are a lot of players who could have had better careers if they um or at least better careers in terms of like our perception now to the modern game if they knew what the modern game was going to value long after they retired.
0: Yeah. And I guess this year's Ted Simmons, in a way, I've I've kind of come out be like, I don't think he's a Hall of Famer, but for someone on the ballot would be Bobby Abreu.
1: Yeah. I, I've you know I've discussed it. I do like a Hall of Fame ballot breakdown on my second channel. Yes. And
0: watch watch that one. Maybe that's the most accessible after Rob Barajas. That'd be my yeah. second recommendation.
1: If you're yeah, if you're definitely, if you're interested in the, you know the upcoming Hall of Fame voting, it's definitely uh, relevant, but yeah, I always say, I say to read Bobby Abreu, you look at him statistically, you know, it, you can make an argument there's the, it's, this is a very arbitrary stat I came up with, but it, it was something like 2,400 hits, 1,400 walks, 400 stolen bases, which you could argue oh. is kind of like the ideal, you know, leadoff hitter type build. And it was just like, it's like him, you know, Ricky Henderson, like, uh, Eddie Collins, Barry Bonds. It's like, you know, fourth the most ideal leadoff finish you could possibly have. Um, so yeah, but 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 also you know the flip side of that is zero Hall of Fame vibes and no one watched Bobby Abreu play and at any point thought they were watching a future Hall of Famer. Yeah,
0: he was never one of the top guys at his position though. Yeah, I think, that, I think that's one of the things that and it's one thing to be Craig Vigio and maybe that's your case, but you have you know the nice round three thousand hit number. Yeah, and and that helps your case. Versus Abreu, who, like you said, 2,400 hits, a lot of walks, great. I I went on a rant earlier why well, I, I like Hall of very good, not actually Hall of Fame in, in my opinion, but like that's I I get that, and it's it's kind of going back to what I said. Like, are we evaluating him maybe a little differently now than we would have 15 years ago for that? Because yeah, Bobby Abreu was always a good ball player. He was the type of guy that he was your if you had him in a corner, you were pretty much set at that corner, but you could have, it was also a pretty great era for corner outfielders. There's some guy named bond Sheffield, like, so, so we could go through the list.
1: Right. Yeah. And like you said, is, you know, is it fair that we go back and look at, you know, and we start comparing Bobby Abreu to uh, Vladimir Guerrero senior, you know, because cool. they have pretty similar, you know, totals in terms of their war or maybe some of their rate stats offensively when, you know, uh, they were trying to do completely different things. When when Abreu was playing a game that, um, you know, would have been much more appreciated, you know, analytically speaking now and Guerrero uh, wasn't because he was going to go out there and hit 300 no matter what.
0: We're going to take one more break here. We'll be back here for a little more show whenever we get back. And welcome back to the Pirates podcast to be named later. Bailey, i'm I'm really glad you're here today. we were recording this on Friday afternoon because I need a level head here to talk about the Andrew McCutcheon sign because i i I'm just too romanticized about, you know him coming back and everything here. So am I right to be one hundred percent on the yes, romantic? you know, this is a perfect justice to the end of baseball versus like, well, wait a minute, Alex, there's this too.
1: well, I, I'm really excited about it. I was, you know, the spoilers I'm working on a little bit of Andrew McCutcheon content right now actually so you'll see that on my second channel sooner rather than later but okay. as I was working on it the hope was hey like why doesn't he just go sign back with the Pirates like when that just sort of be like the dream reunion you know he has kind of a, he has kind of a choice at this point of his career he could if he wanted to probably ring chase with some mm-hmm. other teams that have like a better chance at you know cracking the playoffs or making a world Series. But, Instead, what he's going to do is what I think he should do, which is, you know, go back to the Pirates, you know, where, you know, the city, he he loves Pittsburgh. I bet he still probably has like a house there. I'm pretty sure his son's yes. name is Steel. you know. there's Steel all McCutcheon. These, yeah, which is just an incredible name. And so I'm, I'm very happy for him. I'm very happy for the Pirates organization. And I'm also happy because I think, you know, he slots in to be their left fielder more days than none, at least the way the team is built currently. You could argue, hey, Uh, You know, he's Andrew McCutcheon. He's going to, you know, block some of our, you know, uh, 40 future value, you know, corner outfield options. What if he gets in the way of, you know, Cal Mitchell or something like that? But, um, you know, I think, though, you know, injuries happen. There'll be plenty of opportunities to rotate players in and out McCutcheon. I'm sure we'll see some, you know, DH days, um, you know, so. Uh, This is stealing an observation from my friends at the Cespedes Family Barbecue, but they've really had a, uh, you know, get some adults in the room type of offseason where, you know, they just have veteran guys, McCutcheon, Santana, you know, Rich Hill that they've added, who I think are going to be very helpful in developing some of these uh, younger players trying to really establish themselves as big league regulars.
0: I'm also going to say this from the Pirates standpoint that, this whole off season has been not to say, Hey, they're gunning for, you know, division or anything, but like this whole thing is like, we are taking a step forward in 2023. We we need to. And like Santana Hill does, I think Kutch is the one that at least sells to the city of Pittsburgh is like, we said, we're taking a step forward. Like this guy isn't coming around just to, you know, run out, you know, like you said, he could have ring chased. I think Heyman had that, you know, the Mets were interested Yeah, in him, you know, in a type of way and maybe it was a fourth outfielder or something but like hey we're gonna take a step forward and the cushion's gonna be here where have you seen that before like that's happened once before in this city so i i think that's an important factor in all this and like i said i'm just too romanticized to give a lot of actual hard-hitting analysis at this point so thank you for giving something
1: (laughs) out there you know, my as a Braves fan personally, like I really want them to sign Elvis Andrews, and I don't, you know, I don't know how much necessarily Elvis Andrews has to offer. There were a lot of really good signs going in the last year, like or from last year. You know, he really increased like the quality of his contact and his plate discipline metrics were a lot better. But the real part of it is like, yeah, I just I want the reunion. I want to enjoy you know Elvis Andrews in a Braves uniform for the same reasons I enjoy Charlie Morton in the Braves uniform. It's just fun when these things kind of come full circle, you know. Charlie Morton in a Braves
0: uniform is a little bit of a mixed bag here in Pittsburgh. So. Oh, I understand. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Sorry if that's a touchy subject.
0: Uh, we'll, we'll just remember 2013. That's what I say. It could be. Bailey, thank you so much for coming on here. Where can we find you on social, YouTube, whatever, whatever you want to plug?
1: So the main thing I do is my uh, series, Baseball Bits. You can find that on my YouTube channel, Foolish Baseball. Also, I also have a second channel, Foolish Bailey, which is a little bit more, we could call it personality-driven, uh, you know, more kind of uh, uh, relevant, you know, like uh, what's topical type topics where, you know, you can discuss the news and the, you know, all the events and happenings around MLB in ways that I can't with Baseball Bits. Um, and also you can find me on Twitter at Foolish BB.
0: Cool. Bailey, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Like I said, Bailey's just the first of hopefully a good, those wave guests we're going to have here before the start of the season. So be sure to subscribe wherever you find, find podcasts. This one's here too, for some reason. Thank you so much for listening. We'll talk again next week.
1: All right. Thank you, Alex.